Hello everyone, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. You can go check out my site at myersdetox.com to learn all about uh, heavy metal toxicity and how to detox metals and chemicals and toxins from your body and how they are making you sick and are a big hidden underlying root cause of your symptoms. So I wanna teach you how to be proactive and take your power back, get your life back with the power of detoxification. Today we have Melissa Gallico on the show and she is an expert in artificial water fluoridation. And we're gonna be talking about how fluoride makes you sick and the story behind why on earth we are still fluoridating their water. It just boggles the mind why we are still doing this. So we explain the origins of why this is happening, why it's still happening, big surprise, big corporate interest. But we'll talk about fluoride toxicity symptoms, including acne and cystic acne and uh, teeth, spot, teeth spots, like they can be white or dark spots on your teeth and lots of other symptoms, poor and sleep issues as well. And why reactions to iodine supplementation are really fluoride detox symptoms. Because when you take iodine, you push out and displace fluoride from your body. And also we talk about fluoride sensitivity. Some people are very, very sensitive to fluoride and that's a big cause of their symptoms and they just have no clue. And we'll talk about why your water filter likely is not filtering fluoride and sources of fluoride toxicity besides water. There's lots of hidden sources out there. Wink, wink, your dentist trying to give you a fluoride treatment on your teeth. Um, so lots of interesting topics like that and more on the show today. This is such an interesting conversation. And uh, I asked a lot of the questions that I had. We'd never done a show on fluoride before. But it's a very common thing that we're all exposed to or if we're not drinking properly filtered water, we're getting it every day in the shower. So we talk about a lot of hidden sources and solutions, what you can do to remove fluoride, detox fluoride, and lots of interesting, uh, interesting tips and tricks on the show today. And I know you guys are listening to the show because you are concerned about the levels of toxins in your body. So I created a two-minute quiz that you can take at heavymetalsquiz.com. After you take this quiz, you get your results that will tell you the relative levels of toxins you have in your body based on these lifestyle questions that I developed. And after you take the quiz, you get a free video series that tells you what to do next uh, based on your results you know, what, where should you should get started. A lot of people know they need to detox, but aren't really sure on where to start, what to take. So I have this free video series for you after the quiz. So go check out heavymetalsquiz.com and take it. it only takes a couple minutes. Our guest today, Melissa Gallico, is a former military intelligence officer, FBI analyst, and Fulbright scholar to the United Kingdom. And as host of the F Pollution podcast, she follows a paper trail of documentary evidence, including declassified government memos, internal industry communications, and legal filings to show how corporate polluters corrupted the science on the safety of long-term low-dose fluoride exposure. 
Gallico is also the author of The Hidden Cause of Acne, How Toxic Water is Affecting Your Health and What You Can Do About It, published by Healing Arts Press with a foreword by Stephen Herod Bunner. She has a degree in science and technology in internal affairs, STIA, from Georgetown University, and a master's degree in international security studies from the University of St. Andrews. You can find Melissa on fpollution.com, listen to her podcast, and check out her book at hiddencauseofacne.com. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us how you go from being an FBI intelligence analyst to an author and then to a podcast host intent on exposing the pollution story behind fluoride? Well, it wasn't a direct route. I, I worked in the intelligence field for 16 years, first in the military and then with the FBI. And during that time, I had the opportunity to travel a lot and I lived in a lot of different countries. And I noticed that when I lived in the United States, I had really bad cystic acne ever since I was a teenager. But when I went abroad and lived in certain countries, it just effortlessly cleared up on its own. I didn't do anything different with my skincare routine. Of course, I'm eating different foods and there's a lot of other variables. So I wasn't really sure what was going on. I just knew that when I lived in other countries and my, my skin was clear. And after you know, 16 years of this, I, I finally figured out that I am hypersensitive to fluoride. It, it was just, at first I, I read the literature on fluoride and perioral dermatitis, which is an acne-like condition. It's very well documented in the research that fluoride, topical fluoride, like the fluoride in toothpaste, can cause this kind of skin reaction. So I just thought, you know, is it possible that the fluoride I'm drinking has a similar reaction or causes a similar reaction? So I just stopped drinking fluoridated water and right away my skin um, really cleared up, not completely, but dramatically improved. So I knew I was onto something and then it was a matter of trial and error. And um, there's a lot of fluoride in different foods. So I had to figure that out like the hard way over time. And I was eventually able to completely clear my skin by avoiding fluoride in my water and my diet. And then I just thought, I can't be the only one with this weird, you know, allergy. And so I wrote just a free PDF guide and I put it on the internet and I started hearing from so many people. And I just thought this, this can't be possible, like that it's this common. Um, and then a woman sent me an email with the words, your book saved my life. And I just, I thought I have to turn this into a real book. It wasn't a real, it was like a pamphlet that I threw together. So I turned it into a real book and um, put it on Amazon and eventually a publisher saw it. And, um, and that's how I ended up uh, becoming an author. It wasn't really by, by uh, choice, just kind of, I really had to investigate it for my own health. Yeah. And um, and then I ended up doing the podcast just because so few people understand the pollution story behind fluoridation. And I really wanted to expose that. So that's how so, I ended up there. So what is the name of your book? The book is called The Hidden Cause of Acne. Uh, Stephen Herod Buner wrote the foreword, which I was so excited about because he's one of my favorite writers. He writes a lot about you know, natural cures for Lyme disease and dealing with herbs. He has a great book on beer and plant life. And um, so he wrote the forward and it came out last year from Inner Traditions Press. 
Okay, fantastic. So you had mentioned that you have a podcast. It's called Hashtag F Pollution, which I love that. <laughs> and your main argument in your podcast is that, you know, artificial water fluoridation is a pollution story. So what does fluoride have to do pollution? Like, what is this fluoride doing to our bodies? So... <laughs> A lot of people don't realize that the fluoride added to water is actually a, a waste product of phosphate fertilizer manufacturing. That's where over 90% of it comes from in the United States. They purchase it directly from the smokestacks of the phosphate fertilizer plants, in, mostly in central Florida. And the pollution story behind fluoridation, a lot of people who are active trying to end fluoridation think that it's because these these plants were trying to get rid of their hazardous waste product and they convinced the country to start putting fluoride in the water, that it was good for you. But the real pollution story is that fluoride is a common byproduct of a lot of mining operations, like mining for aluminum or steel or coal. It pollutes fluoride into the atmosphere. And back in the 1940s and 1950s when fluoridation was being introduced, there were a lot of lawsuits because fluoride air pollution was harming cattle, vegetation, and human health around these factories. So the polluters hired scientists to defend them in court against these lawsuits. And that's the foundation of the science that says fluoride's safe in, in the small amounts that's added to water because it was very similar to the amount people were being exposed to in the air. So they, they needed it to be safe because if they were to be vulnerable to lawsuits for, you know, personal injury lawsuits to human health, their industry would collapse because all of their workers would sue them and everybody around the, the plants would sue them. So that's where the science really um, became skewed is because of that huge financial interest in proving fluoride safe. So that's what I lay out in the podcast. And I use my, my FBI background. I have the paper trail. I have all of the primary <laughs> source documents showing, you know, showing the, the court documents saying like, look, dentists say it's safe and it's the same amount. So it couldn't possibly be bad for you. And they were very successful in avoiding these lawsuits. They weren't able to stave off the lawsuits over cattle and vegetation. They ended up spending millions of dollars, but they never um, had to pay for all the damage that they did to human health in their workers and in the people living near these factories. So that's and, the pollution story. Yeah. And then what's the next step? Like, how is it, why, why is fluoride being added to the majority of the water systems in the United States? So that's really interesting how it, how it kind of progressed from, it's not bad for you, and actually it's good for you. Um, so dentists started noticing the connection between fluoride and teeth originally in a negative way because fluoride causes a condition called dental fluorosis, and it's, it, it can manifest in different ways, either dark spots on your teeth or it could be bright white spots. Um, a lot of people have them. Right now it's 60% of adolescents have dental fluorosis, which is a very early sign of fluoride toxicity. So when you have too much fluoride in your body, when your teeth are forming, you'll develop dental fluorosis. So that's why dentists were interested in fluoride. And then those studies turned into, um, I, I lay out the, the letters in the book where um, these industry researchers, it was actually someone who was being funded by the sugar industry who first thought, um, first started studying it he here in the United States. Hey, maybe fluoride is why certain diets prevent 
cavities. You know, they weren't studying like all the fat soluble nutrients that, that we look at or, or iodine or different things that are, are really important for your health. They, they were looking at fluoride because of the connection with dental fluorosis. And, um, and that was very popular. The public really wanted that. They wanted, and, and fluoride occurred in, in water naturally in these places that had high rates of dental fluorosis. Sometimes it was pollution, but sometimes it was natural. So yeah, it had- to have a little it, bit of fluoride in your body. There's some in, in the springs of people drinking spring water. There's a tiny little bit. You're supposed to have a little- Exactly. Yeah. We can handle, like the average fluoride content of spring water is 0.05. So it's very, very low. Your body can handle that very easily. The amount they're adding into the water is 14 times that amount. So it's a lot higher than what we're being exposed to naturally. Um, plus we're exposed to it in so many other sources like pesticides and pharmaceuticals and antibiotics, all, all these kinds of things, which we can talk about. Um, so we're just overloaded with it. And, and yet they're still putting it in the water based on this 1950s science. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we're, so we're getting the fluoride from chemical fertilizer plants, which is a very toxic process. It's not filtered. And they've done a lot of analysis that show it also contains lead, arsenic, aluminum, all of these other contaminants that are found naturally in the earth that you do not want in your water supply are coming along with the hydrofluorosilicic acid that they're putting in the water. So it's really important that we stop doing that. Yeah, I'm assuming there's cadmium also because cadmium is a big yes. byproduct that's present in these chemical fertilizers. A lot of it's coming from Morocco. Uh, some of the the mines that they are they where they get these chemical fertilizers in Morocco. So there's definitely cadmium probably in it as well. Yeah, you can ask your local water provider for a water, for an analysis of the hydrofluorosilicic acid, and you can see the amount of arsenic and the amount of lead that they are intentionally adding to the water. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. And so one thing to be aware of is that say even if you are drinking filtered water. So you have your Brita filter, a lot of these uh, little filters on your sink or the pitcher filters will get out some fluoride and, you know, uh, improve the taste, but it's not a hundred percent guarantee it's removing fluoride. And even if you're eating and drinking perfectly filtered water, spring water, you're still showering every day in fluoridated water. And so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so the um, the sink filters, like the carbon filters, really aren't designed for fluoride. They don't have much of an impact. Even the little shower filters that you put on your shower, unfortunately, they those don't filter fluoride from the water. Um, even the general, like the Berkey filter is really popular. They have a separate fluoride filter that you had add on to it um, because you need you need something extra to get rid of the fluoride. Um, reverse osmosis is a really popular way to remove fluoride. But even um, some of the people in my, my Facebook group is designed for fluoride sensitivity, it, they, it doesn't remove enough or it's not as effective um, as, as some other types of fluoride. So they'll maybe have like a bone char filter along with a reverse osmosis filter to really get rid of the fluoride. So that depends on your sensitivity, how heavy duty of a fluoride filter you need. Um, and then like you mentioned, you definitely have to be cognizant of fluoride that you're being exposed to in the shower or in baths. I, I know some people who are so sensitive they can't even wash their hands in fluoridated water. 
Um, so that is a lot more difficult, but they do make uh, bone char filters that you can put on your whole house. If you are able to install a whole house filter, that's a, a really good option um, for limiting the fluoride that you're exposed to in the shower. Yeah, so just know if you have a, a water filter of any type, if it doesn't have a specific fluoride filter on it, you're not getting the fluoride out of your water. Well, reverse osmosis is, is effective. That gets rid of a lot of things it's, and it gets except rid for of that most one, yeah. of the fluoride too. Yeah. And, and distillation, of course, that will, is very effective at removing fluorides. So if you have like a steam distiller, um, that will get rid of all the fluoride as well. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so, so if fluoride is a health hazard, you know, even at levels added to community water supplies. So why would public health officials go along with these corporate polluters and claim, claiming that it's safe? Is it a, a conspiracy? Is someone getting paid off here? Because you know, I always think, you know, there's someone getting paid somewhere to allow this poisoning of our population to happen. That's what I, I think so many people have a hard time getting around that because like, how could it get by the CDC and the EPA and the National Academy of Sciences and the Surgeon General, all these big government organizations and working for a big federal government organization, it's, it's easier for me to understand how these outside influence can shape the, the policy. So in the podcast, I devote one episode to like each major government organization and, and tell the story of how it happened and um, for example, with EPA, I interview some of the first presidents of the EPA union because fluoridation was one of the first issues that came to their attention when scientists started complaining that they were being pressured to say fluoride was safe when really they, they wanted to say something else. You know, they wanted to make the limit much lower. Um, they wanted to make a policy that would, in effect, not make fluoridation possible. Um, so the union became very involved in. Um, trying to uh, to shape the EPA policy because that's the scientists. They were outsourcing um, this their responsibility to other groups to like create the fluoride policy and the scientists were actually against it. So they ended up trying to sue the EPA um, to get the policy changed to lower the maximum contaminant level for fluoride in drinking water. Um, they voted unanimously to oppose fluoridation, testified in front of the Senate, calling for an immediate end of fluoridation, but nothing came of that. And so these scientists that I interviewed, they are still trying to, um, trying to end fluoridation, some of them for, for 30 years or, or longer. Um, so that's just one example of how politics really influences um, really influences public health policy in a, in a way that it shouldn't. And, and some of the financial incentives in the 50s, it was the lawsuits that they, that, that was the big financial incentive. But in the 70s, it was more, you know, it costs money for these cities to filter fluoride from their water. So when they have fluoride naturally or they have fluoride pollution in their water, it costs them a lot of money to filter it out and they didn't want to spend that money. So that's why they pushed to have the safety limit set as high as it is. Right now in the US, it's four parts per million where in other countries, it's usually like one, one and a half. Um, and that's as much as you're allowed to have in the water supply. So here it's, it's way too high. And some towns have it, they, they exceed the safety standard and they don't do anything about it. It's not well enforced in, in all areas of the US. Okay, so are you saying that the, the fluoride is just a pollutant that's in the water? 
but in some places, isn't the fluoride being added to the water intentionally? Exactly. Yeah, it's both. So 70% of the United States, they add fluoride intentionally to the water supply. And there are a few places where it's either runoff from fluoride pollution and it has high, high amounts of fluoride or it's naturally occurring because fluoride is a common element deep in the earth's crust. And that's why it's a form of air pollution. When you're mining for steel or aluminum or phosphate, um, you, you come across the fluoride and that's they, they don't need it. That's why it's, they release it into the atmosphere. It was killing all of the, the nearby vegetation. So that's, um, so it could be naturally occurring just from fluoridated rock. Okay, great. And is there any hope in sight? Like, is there groups working on this or maybe George Soros or just somebody trying to fund <laughs> getting rid of fluoridation? I mean, are, do people need to rise up in their local community? Like what has to happen for fluoridation to stop or the dumbing down of the masses with this addition of fluoride to the water? The most effective at the, at, the, at the local level is really to contact your city council because in most states, it's up to the city council. They can decide to do it or not. The CDC just recommends it. They don't force you to add fluoride to the water. So um, I've heard from a lot of my readers who end up, you know, they'll clear their acne. For example, there's a woman in Melbourne, Florida here near where I live, she had acne for 35 years. She had um, low thyroid, which is another um, common side effect of fluoride toxicity. And uh, then she figured out the fluoride connection, got fluoride out of her water, out of her diet, and her thyroid normalized. Her acne went away, and she became very active in trying to get fluoride out of the water supply for her family and her neighbors and her community. And so she just showed up at those city council meetings. She's she has people who will show up with her, like if there's a vote or a big thing, but most part, it was just a one woman show going, you know, every two weeks to the city council and they agreed to read, you know, two pages a week. So she would send them like a new study that came out or some historical documentation and, um, and they have voted twice. They're very close to taking it out of the water just because she was very persistent. So that is a very effective way to, um, to change things on the local level. Um, the Fluoride Action Network, uh, Moms Against Fluoridation, there are some big like national and global groups that are working on it as well. And there's actually an important lawsuit coming up next year where um, many of them join together to sue uh, the EPA for not enforcing the Toxic Substances Control Act with, with regard to fluoridation. Oh, so fantastic. Yeah, that I, have, has, I have read about that. Yeah. That's amazing. I love the third suit. Yeah, it's EPA. progressed pretty well, like through some pretty good hoops that they had to get through. So um, they're doing really well with that. The, one of the, um, the main lawyers from the Fluoride Action Network. So he's been really smart about how he's approached that lawsuit. So, so uh, we're hopeful that that will make an impact as well. It's pretty sad when we have to sue the Environmental Protection Agency to protect us, right? I know. Um, so let's talk about, you know, why, why are we talking about this? What are some of the serious, very serious health consequences of ingesting fluoride. I mean, you mentioned acne. Um, there's lots of other serious health issues that people just are not thinking about. They're just buying their crest and their Colgate full of fluoride and drinking the water and just not, not thinking about it. What are the consequences for these people? 
So I wrote the book around acne just because that's how I came to be aware of what was going on with fluoride and how it was affecting my health. But um, as I mentioned, um, like thyroid conditions are often tied to fluoride. And I've heard from multiple people who are able to uh, to clear up their hypothyroidism just by avoiding fluoride. You know, their doctor said they'd have to be on a medication the rest of their life and they didn't want to believe it. So they did their research and they tried it. They went off fluoride and over a few months, their, their test results resolved and they didn't need to take off the medication. Um, so that's a really big one because it's such an epidemic here in the United States, especially among women. Um, other acute conditions like acne, um, some people get migraines. Their migraines are triggered by fluoride. And I learn a lot from them because like they, you know, it's such an immediate reaction. Um, so that's, uh, they're kind of, you know, the canary in the coal mine with certain things. Um, then there's also, uh, some people have gastrointestinal problems. They just feel sick, you know, when they're exposed to fluoride. Um, and that's especially like people who have been overexposed to fluoridated antibiotics. You know, they just really can't, they, they just don't feel well when they're exposed to it. Um, other long-term conditions, um, Fluoride causes a condition called skeletal fluorosis. So dental fluorosis is too much fluoride in your teeth. Skeletal fluorosis is too much fluoride in your bones and your joints. And it's very similar to, like the early stages of skeletal fluorosis is very similar to arthritis or other like joint conditions. So nobody knows how many people in the U.S. are actually suffering from early forms of skeletal fluorosis that could be mistaken for arthritis or these other conditions. So that's another common one. And then one that's been in the news a lot lately, even mainstream news publications that don't even don't often write about fluoride is fluoride's effect on on children's neurodevelopment. So there have been some really important studies that have come out in the last few years that show that prenatal exposure to fluoride actually decreases IQ in a similar amount to lead, lead exposure. So um, that's really something important. Maybe it's just five IQ points for you, but when you look at that on a society level, how much of our human resources we're losing by um, getting rid of like so many, you know, having the number of geniuses in a society and doubling the amount of people who need you need extra help because of um, mental problems. It's really a dramatic impact on the society as a whole. And, and doesn't fluoride uh, kind of calcify the pineal gland also? And the pineal yes, gland makes but... melatonin and you need melatonin to sleep. So that obviously is causing a lot of problems. Exactly. There's a new study. It just came out. I just tweeted it today where they, um, it was some researchers in Ohio, I forget the, the school, but they, um, they were doing studies with fluoride, fluoridated water. It was the amounts found in fluoridated water in rats and showing the difference in the pineal gland. And I just tweeted, you know, oh, why would anyone in the U.S. care about this? It's not like anybody here has sleep issues, you know, like it's such a huge problem. Like everybody should be talking about that. Um, but um, yeah, that's a, that's another one. There's a, um, a researcher in the UK, a doctoral student, and she decided for her dissertation to measure the amount of fluoride in the pineal gland. And she found the highest concentrations of any study that's ever been done on any part of the human body. It was in the pineal gland. And these were all older people who had passed away, but just shows over your lifetime, fluoride can really crystallize there. Yeah. And I've heard that you can take some tamarind paste and, and put that maybe one tablespoon 
and put that in a pot of greens or just eat that. And then it helps to dissolve the fluoride around the pineal gland and help to get rid of that. And yes, I've read that as well. I have not tried that. <laughs> yes, I don't know I, how I you tried it a couple it. times. It's, it's, you know, yeah. I, like, I, I like tamarind a lot. So food yes. heals, food is medicine. Yes. And, and I thought it's really interesting you talked about the thyroid and that fluoride impacts the thyroid. And why is that? So if you look at um, a periodic table of the elements, you have fluoride and chlorine and bromide and iodine. And so your thyroid hormones are made of iodine. And so fluoride competes with iodine uptake in the thyroid. So you're not able, it's because so many people are also iodine deficient. They're getting tons and tons of fluoride and they're drinking water and shower and not any, some have get no iodine in their diet whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so how are you making your thyroid hormones if all this is happening? So, and by taking thyroid hormones, you're competing with that fluoride. Um, but yeah, your T3 is made of three iodine molecules and T4 is made of four iodine molecules. So you've got to, there has to be a balance somewhere where you've got to get rid of this fluoride to heal your thyroid. Yes. I, my whole, the whole last chapter of my book is about my experience with iodine because being someone who is hypersensitive to fluoride and I was definitely overexposed to it as a child, I have all of this fluoride stored in my bones and throughout my body. So when I started increasing the amount of iodine in my diet, I had the same reactions that I had from fluoride because it was unlocking all of this fluoride that my body had sequestered into my bones and things. So it took me a while to figure out how to even include iodine in my diet without having those types of reactions, but I was able to do that eventually. Yeah, because that iodine, it will push out the fluoride in your body. You need to take a binder when you're doing that, at least soak up whatever is being released into your bloodstream or what have you. And so also Prozac, <clears throat> that is made of fluoride molecules as well. So anyone taking that antidepressant, I'm sure there's other antidepressants that have a similar chemical formulation. They're just popping fluoride pills. <laughs> There's so the many drugs. All, a lot of the most common drugs contain fluoride because it helps deliver the drug to the cells because your body thinks, oh, I, I recognize this. You know, maybe it's mistaking the fluoride for iodine, but your body just will will absorb fluoride throughout throughout the system. So that's why they add it to so many pharmaceuticals. Yeah. It's in antibiotics, it's in anesthesia, um, and, and pesticides and all kinds of different chemical products that we're exposed to on a daily basis. Yes. Yes. And like the fluoroquinolone antibiotics you mentioned before, those can kill yes. some people. They can, they absolutely can. Yeah. If you're genetically, you can't tolerate that type of drug. It, be very, very careful with the antibiotics we take. And so, so are there some other common sources of fluoride exposure that we haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, so some that really surprised me, and, and I had to learn this through, um, you know, the trial and error process, chicken products. Um, so with humans, fluoride will accumulate in our bones, and it does the same thing with chickens. So if they're drinking fluoridated water or eating feed that is covered in fluoride-based pesticides. There's a really high limit for the amount of fluoride that you're allowed to have on, on chicken feed and, and they're eating that and it's accumulating in their bones. So one of the worst reactions I had was from you know, I, I thought I finally had it all figured out. I'm like, oh, my acne is caused by fluoride. So I had avoided 
eating soup at restaurants and until we moved to a non-fluoridated town and I thought I can finally have soup and I ordered chicken soup and I had a huge reaction to it and I thought what what is this you know I know it was made with unfluoridated water and that's when I learned that chicken bones can be very high in fluoride so anything made with like you know, ground poultry or chicken hot dogs or chicken lunch meat, they all tend to have little shards of bone in the finished product and they can be very high in fluoride. Um, I took a few years off from poultry products like that. I thought I just couldn't tolerate them, but then I found a farmer and he didn't use fluoridated water and it was all organic feed and they were, they were free range and I had no reaction at all. So I was eventually able to add it back in my diet. I just really had to make sure it was organic and fluoride free. So yeah. that was one that was really difficult. Yeah, that's really interesting because I mean, even if uh, like say a chicken or eggs are organic, uh, you know, they may not be fed pesticide-ridden feed, but they may still just be drinking regular water out of the out of the hose that's fluoridated or right. has high levels of fluoride. So that's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. So I always recommend people like add that in once you're confident that your skin is clear and then you can tell very easily if it's a source of poultry that you can tolerate that you can have. So um, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Black tea is another one. And I know a lot of people that are health conscious are drinking like kombucha every day. Um, but tea can be a high source of fluoride and that has nothing to do with being organic either. It's just depends on where the tea is grown because tea is one of those very rare plants that just uptakes it naturally from the soil. So, um, so I had to cut out all tea and no more kombucha. Even green tea will contain um, fluoride, not as much as black tea, but it still contains it. Yeah, that's why the teas are so healthy for us because they, they extract tons of minerals and nutrients from the soils, but that also comes with the bad stuff in the soil too. <laughs> a lot of teas have yeah. aluminum also. Yes. Yes. And actually there was a study um, not too long ago where there were some subjects who had clear signs of skeletal fluorosis. Like the doctors were sure it was skeletal fluorosis. And, and it was here in the U.S. I think it was in Georgia. Um, and they were drinking a lot of tea. It was there in the South drinking like gallons of sweet tea every day. Yeah. And they thought, oh, that tea must be really high in fluoride. So they measured it and it, it was contained fluoride, but not the amount that you would expect to cause skeletal fluorosis. So they postulated that it was because, you know, maybe the fluoride was hiding in the aluminum. So they dissolved the fluoride aluminum bonds, and then they measured the tea. And it was three times as much fluoride as they originally thought. So I think our testing measures are still being developed and, and a lot of products probably contain more fluoride than we even realize just because it's bound up with things like aluminum and, and things that aren't really, we're not good at measuring yet. Yes. Yeah. And so peppermint teas are really high in aluminum and, wow. um, you know, green teas can have aluminum. And so all you tea fanatics, you know, you've been warned. Because I'm from Texas, and I, I was guzzling, you know, black tea every single meal, even breakfast, and everyone there is doing that, and usually drinking Lipton tea, that's everyone's favorite tea down there. Uh, so I don't know about the fluoride levels of that tea, but it's in the water and the tea, and so it's just, uh, it's really, it's, a, it's tough to avoid. So any other hidden sources of fluoride that we should know about? So anything made with uh, fluoridated water, even if it's not 
like for example, you wouldn't think of cereal as something that contains water, like boxed breakfast cereal. But if it's made in a plant that uses fluoridated water in the manufacturing process, um, just because of the way it's manufactured, the fluoride actually concentrates in the finished product. So certain cereals can be very high in fluoride, um, just depending on how they're made, but especially extruded breakfast cereals, so the kinds that are made into like little stars or O's and different shapes, that process uses a lot of water and um, they could be very high in fluoride. Yeah. So and of course, you know, when you're drinking like ready-made beverages or things like that, like beer, if it's brewed with fluoridated water, it will be high in fluoride. A lot of the bottled beverages that we buy, they are not made with purified water. They're just turn on the tap, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. and a lot of bottled water that's marketed as alkaline water or what have you is not, not very well purified. It's just, it's just tap water basically. Yeah. One that makes people pretty sad when I tell them is um, wine from California. There's a part of California where they use a lot of fluoride-based pesticides on their grape products. And it's mostly because they grow half the world's raisin supply in this one part of California. And when you have that kind of monocropping, you really need to rely on pretty toxic pesticides. So they they put a lot of fluoride-based pesticides on those crops. And sometimes um, they use that for grape juice. So like Gerber's grape juice could be, I, there was a study where it was like over six parts per million fluoride, which is way above the, um, the maximum contaminant level for fluoridated drinking water. So that's something to watch out for any type of grape, grape products, including wine and uh, grape juice and raisins. Yeah, so everyone got to bust out your tamarind paste and uh, start eating yeah. that. One tablespoon a week. That's the uh, prescription. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, just like so many things that we talk about on this podcast, it's very depressing because we've been eating all this stuff and drinking bad water and showering every day in fluoridated water. And so chances are that you have quite a bit of fluoride built up in your body. And so what are, the, what are some things we can do today to start limiting our exposure to fluoride and then also remove it? So um, definitely make sure you have a good, reliable source of fluoride-free drinking water. That's a great place to start. Um, very easy to switch your oral health care to fluoride-free products. There's so many now that are available at health food stores or online. And then um, just switching to an organic diet will really take out a lot of the fluoride. But if, um, if that's not really in the budget, just focus on, you know, poultry products and, um, and grape products. You know, you definitely want that to be organic. And, um, and then looking into any pharmaceuticals you're taking and just, you can look it up on Wikipedia and look at the chemical structure and see if there's any F symbols in there that will tell you if it's fluoride based and then maybe talk to your healthcare provider about switching to something else. Um, and then as far as uh, detoxifying from fluoride, that's all the things that you talk about on your show, you know, the, the near infrared saunas, you know, those are great for helping your body process out fluoride, a really good nutrient dense diet. Um, and iodine is the one that really, um, that really I ended up focusing on as a way to detoxify fluoride for me personally. Yeah, it's so key. And, and so many people with thyroid issues are concerned about iodine, especially if they have 
Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroiditis. But you know, you can't heal your thyroid unless you give it iodine. I'm sorry. You know, I just yeah. personally feel like even if it's a small amount, even if you react, you can start with a very, very, very small amount work your way up. It takes your body a minute to habituate. You can have, you can get heart palpitations and feel anxious. Maybe you have trouble sleeping for a minute um, while your body is adjusting, but it's, uh, but you can also just start with a very, very small amount and titrate up. But I know some people, they just, they can't even tolerate a, a minute amount of iodine, but they may need to start with uh, switch to a different form of iodine or perhaps to start taking binders and the tamarind paste and doing other things to get rid of fluoride because it could be just not that they're reacting to the iodine but the fluoride detox and that's a very very good point that you made that's exactly what was happening to me i was so sensitive to it i couldn't even take small amounts of iodine i couldn't handle it in food because you have no way of controlling the dose that you're getting and so it took me a long time to figure out but that was the key was starting with a very small amount 20 micrograms that's what i started with one drop of dulse liquid which was 20 micrograms and then i doubled it so i was at 40 and i doubled it to you know added another drop so i was at 80 and just by increasing so slowly um, i was able to eventually work up to a really healthy dose of iodine without experiencing any of those side effects and then it did help to have all of the companion nutrients and um you know to be doing my my regular like you know just health uh detox baths and things like that, that I, that I was doing anyway. But um, the key was starting very slow and going very slowly um, to increase the amount of iodine. Yeah. And I think generally most people should be getting at least 300 micrograms a day of iodine, but not if you don't tolerate that and just work your way up. And I even have had clients take 5,000 micrograms a day. That's totally safe. That's what the Japanese get in their diet on average. So um, higher amounts are not necessarily bad. Everyone's different. It's just a matter of what you tolerate, what you need. And I think a lot of people need a lot of iodine because they have so much fluoride and chlorine competing. You've got to throw in a lot of iodine in the mix to compete with that stuff if you aren't able to do a whole house water filter or you don't have an adequate shower filter. You've got to do something to you know, protect your thyroid and help your thyroid function. Exactly. And so, uh, and then let's talk about toothpaste and like the dental treatments that the dentists are always trying to shove up on you to make extra $25 yes. for their, the fluoride seal at the end of your dentist treatment. And so, uh, and so let's talk about that. You know, why, uh, why don't more people know that they're not supposed to use fluoridated toothpastes and products and fluoride floss and, and dental treatments? There's just so much money in marketing um, fluoride. It's, it's been sold to us for so long as a mineral, you know, that's good for us that we actually need fluoride, but there's no evidence that we need fluoride in any amount. It's not considered an essential nutrient where, you know, they restrict it from the diet and you get these predictable side effects. Nothing happens when you don't have access to fluoride in your diet. Um, there are a lot of dentists now who are realizing that and realizing that fluoride is not the way to prevent cavities. And um, so I always, 
recommend um, if you want to find a dentist who understands how to prevent cavities, um, look through you know, the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. They have a, a huge membership and they have a directory on their website and you can hopefully find someone in your area who won't try to push fluoride treatments on you and will instead help you um, understand the underlying causes of, of cavities and how you can prevent them in your in yourself or your children. So um, they're such a great resource and I'm really grateful for them because they're very outspoken about fluoridation and about the need to, to end it. Yeah. So no more Colgate, just toss that right. in the trash because it's literally toxic waste that you're putting in your, your body. And it says on the label, warning, if swallowed, seek out poison control center. I mean, this, this fluoridated toothpaste is very toxic to the body. Yeah, so often. I was just speaking with someone who told me when she was a kid, she used to like the taste of toothpaste, so she always like swallowed some. And then she's like, and every morning I felt sick. And like they never, you know, her parents never thought to put it together. Oh, you're getting sick because you're swallowing your toothpaste. How often does that happen, especially with the bubblegum flavored toothpaste, you know, and things like that. So it's really something it's very dangerous. You really shouldn't be telling your ch child to put it in their mouth and brush with it twice a day. So, um, but hopefully, you know, thankfully there are so many brands that are fluoride free now. Yes. Yeah. I know my, my mother bought my daughter winter some, some toothpaste when she went to visit and I said, Nope, that's going in the garbage. Yeah. And I explained to her <laughs> yes. why, why we're not using that toothpaste and while we're using this other one. Um, but, but also when it comes to preventing cavities, I mean, oral probiotics are amazing yes. at cavity prevention. There's lots of great brands out there now with just some oral bacteria that will help to counteract the bacteria that causes cavities. Yeah. And, and the when you asked about the reason that they're still pushing fluoride, another big financial incentive was the sugar industry. There's a lot of documentation. I, I just shared a, something on Facebook where it was a meeting of the American Dental Association. And they're, they're talking in the meeting about how, well, we can't tell people not to eat sugar because it's so important for the world economy. You know, <laughs> it's just like, they've had such a stronghold on dental policy for so long. Um, there's some really good research that shows in the 1970s when President Nixon came out with the National Caries Program. You know, he was determined to end dental decay in a decade, and he put a lot of money into it. And the sugar industry pretty much directed where that money went. And of course, they're not going to direct it into limiting sugar. And so they like things like fluoride because it has nothing to do with limiting sugar. So they have been another factor in pushing fluoride, fluoridate toothpaste, fluoridate, um, fluoridated drinking water on the American public. Got it. So, so hilarious how big corporations <laughs> and big agra are directing our health policies and, and misinformation that's given to dentists. Because a lot of dentists listen without question the policies of the American Dental Association when it comes to fluoride and it comes to mercury. So you have to question everything because a lot yeah. of people, you know, go to their dental school or their medical school and they just don't question anything. They don't want to take their weekends researching. They don't, you know, they're just, I learned it and they just go about their day and they have no benefit whatsoever, monetary wise or other, to learn anything outside what they were taught and tell and told. Yeah. And so- And it's very sad. 
it's very sad because a lot of times the people, the dentists and the dental hygienists are the ones who are exposed to the most fluoride and they don't realize it until much later in their career that they're fluoride poisoned or they're mercury poisoned. And then they have serious long-term side effects. So it's really not, um, not, not fair to be asking them to work with these very hazardous chemicals and teaching them that there's absolutely no side effects. Yeah, and, and dentistry has the highest suicide rate of any profession. And it's Very because, sad, yeah. uh, I'm, and there's, this is a correlation, but I believe it's because of the mercury and fluoride that they're exposed to, among the other chemicals, lots of glue solvents right. and other things. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I do have a whole chapter in the book about how you know, I always felt depressed all that whole time that I had acne. And I, and I realized there's actually a chart in the book showing that the times when I lived overseas, when my skin was clear, I was also like just effortlessly happy. And I never really put it together until later when I looked back and saw, oh, I was being exposed to fluoride. It was affecting the way I looked at the world. And I, I thought I was depressed because, oh, my life was so hard, you know, but really it was just being exposed to fluoride. Otherwise, why would it clear up when I just left a fluoridated, fluoridated town? It just yeah. went away. You know, that's um, so why it, I it feel really... amazing when I go to Europe for the summers too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I'm eating pasta and croissants and like not yes. really wearing food supplies, not as poison. <laughs> yes, I know. It is such a relief to be able to go out to all these restaurants whenever I'm, even um, like I've lived in places in Africa, Senegal, Tunisia. Um, and, and it was the same experience there. You know, they're not like luxury places, but um, I just was effortlessly happy, had no problems with my skin. Um, they actually have amazing food. <laughs> so um, we're, we're really a little bit behind in, as far as the food scene goes. Yeah. And so is there any truth to the Nazis fluoridating the water <laughs> to be able to control the population? Because we know that it hurts IQ and has other consequences. Is there any truth to that? Not that I know of. I, I hear that claim a lot and there have been um, I think like a, a book of somebody who claim, worked worked during that time period and made that claim in a book, but I've never seen like the documentary evidence of it. I've never seen hard proof that that really happened. So I don't know. That's kind of up in the air. I, guess. Okay, I think I it's just, just very curious, distracting. I've, I've yeah. heard that a couple of times. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's what they're doing to us. They're fluoridating the water right. to control us. <laughs> yeah, and that's what a lot of people think. And then that turns off a lot. Other people were like, oh, there's no way that all of these government workers are poisoning them. You know, how, how would that even happen? So that's why a lot of people, when you mention fluoride, they just write you off like, oh, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. But that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is a, a pollution story, like kind of a classic American pollution story that we've heard a hundred other times with all these other industries. Um, so yeah, I think the Nazi, um, maybe it happened, I don't know, but it's also very distracting for people to understand what really happened here in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for big corporations to pay to have their interests uh, forwarded or demands met. And, and it takes time for the public to wake up and then make these changes, make these public policy changes. And it takes time for the government to change. So I think that that's 
that's slowly happening. And you mentioned a couple of things that people can do to be you know, activists in their local area. I've never heard of other cities that have stopped fluoridating the water. Do you know of any cities offhand that have managed yeah. to stop fluoridation? Calgary is, I believe, the largest city in North America to have stopped fluoridation. Now, of course, they're always fighting to keep it out, so that the battle continues, but they, <laughs> wow. they were able to stop fluoridation. Um, and my county here in Florida, we don't fluoridate, so there's a lot of areas in the United States that doesn't fluoridate, especially smaller towns. Um, Portland has resisted fluoridation. They um, were, were successful in keeping fluoride out of their water. And they have a really good model for it. So anybody who wants to take on ending fluoridation, um, they're a good one to look to. Um, and some places have a state mandate. So that's where it's a little tough. Like Kentucky, there's a state law that says they have to fluoridate. So those activists have to take it on at the state level. But they're very dedicated. And um, we're hoping that they'll be able to make some progress soon. Yes. And so that's interesting you say that once some cities have it removed, then there's other forces trying to put it back. Like, well, do you know why yes. that is? In Calgary, it is so bizarre. It's the one of the main people leading that is an ethics professor at a university. And I just think the ethical argument against putting fluoride in the water is like the most clear. Like, even if it is good for you, even if it does prevent cavities, is it ethical to put something in the water to treat a condition, even if it's just one person who objects to it, how is it ethical to put that in their public, the only public water supply available to them? So it's really bizarre to me that an ethics professor is like leading the crusade to put fluoride back in the water in Calgary. And it's a medical doctor who's against it, who's leading the crusade against it. So it's, it's very strange. Um, very bizarre. I don't, bizarre. yeah. <laughs> People have to have their personal, their personal, uh, you know, calling in life, I guess. And right. so tell us about uh, more things about what you're doing to educate people. And, you know, I know you have a program helping women to clear up their acne, bringing awareness to the underlying root causes of acne. Tell us about that. Sure. So I have a 30-day um, a challenge that you can join. Just sign up on my website, hiddingcauseofacne.com. And the crux of the challenge is just avoiding fluoridated water for 30 days. But every day I'll send you a little email explaining another source of fluoride that you might want to try to limit your, in your diet. So over the course of 30 days, you'll develop this really um, comprehensive body of knowledge about how to reduce your exposure to fluoride. I also have a private Facebook group for readers of my book to ask questions, share experiences um, dealing with fluoride and acne or just fluoride sensitivity in general. Um, so those are some good resources. And, um, and then as far as um, ending fluoridation. I'm, I'm just helping local activists as much as I can um, with getting media exposure, um, contacting their local politicians, um, doing the podcast to raise awareness of this pollution story behind fluoridation. Um, and, I, and I've just finished season one, and now I'm going to focus on bringing some um, some real world stories, other people, you know, besides me who are fluoride sensitive, bringing their stories to YouTube. Um, so people can see like what it's, what it's like when you have this um, fluoride 
reaction? You know, how, how did they figure it out? What triggers it? Um, what did they do to get rid of it? So that's what I'm focusing on now. Okay, fantastic. And so tell us where we can find you, where we can find your podcast and your program. Um, so my website for the book is hiddencauseofacne.com. And for the podcast, it's F pollution. So just the letter F, little chemistry joke there, periodic table joke, <laughs> but also the you know double entendre. Yes. So fpollution.com. Um, you can find it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and the Facebook group is called Fluoride Free Faces. Fantastic. Well, everyone go sign up, join, listen. And uh, Melissa, thanks so much for coming on the show to educate us about fluoride. It was a really, really interesting conversation that I know so many people are going to benefit from. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you. So everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Myers Detox Podcast. I try to educate you every week about different topics around uh, pollutants, toxins, how to detox them, and why this is happening, what you can do about it. You have so much control. You can get this stuff out of your body and get your life back. So thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys next week.